Hey everybody, it's Stefan from a Comedy Advice Podcast. I hope you guys are doing okay. I know that there's a pandemic going on, there's a lot of social unrest and racial injustice, but I am holding on there. Oh, excuse me for one second, it's my phone. Thought I would turn my notifications off after 199 episodes of this. <gasps> Mercury is in retrograde. Oh my god! Oh my god! Babe! Babe, 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 babe! Ah, turns out Mercury was in retrograde yesterday. But, guys, coming at you with a little bit of positive news, and that is a fresh episode of a comedy advice podcast with none other than Sandy Danto. Sandy is one of the most hilarious comedians I've met, and I've met a lot of the most hilarious comedians. He has a new album, Daddy Boy. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about some of the greatest crowd work I've ever seen. In a video where in the very first start of his set and he's opening for Bobby Lee, some guy wants to fight him and he has to get escorted off the premises by like five employees. And so there's video footage of that and it's crazy and we talk a little bit about it and how he handled it. But anyway, great episode. We also give some nifty little advice for some of you guys out there. So... I hope you enjoy it. I hope you click on the link in the show notes, support, follow Sandy, listen to Daddy Boy, the new album, and then support me. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram, at a comedy advice podcast, send in your questions, give me some love. I'd really appreciate it. All right, guys, that's all I've got. So coming at you with the episode. A comedy advice podcast. An advice podcast for death and, and friends to make exaggerated statements not meant to be taken literally. What was that, Seven? A uh, comedy advice podcast. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of a comedy advice podcast. My name is Stefan, and I'm your host. Joining me today is an incredibly special guest. He's an actor, writer, and comedian seen on National Lampoon, Comedy Central, Jewish Life TV. And more. He's a regular at the Comedy Store and Hollywood Improv and is open for the greats like Polly Shore and Bobby Lee. He's got a new special out, Daddy Boy. Everybody, please welcome Sandy Danto. Thank you. You know, I hear the raucous applause in my head. Is it really going on in reality? That my stomach is a little grumbly. I've got a grumbly tummy, but it's all it's because when I say Sandy Danto, it grumbles. So I think it's reactionary too. <laughs> That's your... a normal response to my name. <laughs> oh good. Since I was a little kid. I can't wait what happens at the end of the podcast. But Sandy, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. First off, how have you been doing? I know we've been going through a little thing called Corona. How has life been? How has comedy been? It seems like it's in a little bit of a, a rut. Comedy is in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic right now. Hmm. But, you know, it's it's still moseying along. Um, I have not... I've been writing. I have not been performing. I have a new album out. I, um, I you know, I would love to be performing. I miss it. And uh, it's it's painful to write jokes, to have no one to tell them to. 
aside from my wife who's over it and my daughter who doesn't understand it. But um, comedy's good, man. Like right now, the month of October leading into November, I got a new album out. I'm going to be on a TV show on the prestigious and ubiquitous Jewish Life TV. Not bragging. Ooh. I don't know if anyone's ever bragged about being on Jewish Life TV. Anyway, um, uh, I'm very ever so lightly in the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. And um, I got a new movie out called Tar. So things for me in comedy are good. Oh, and I'm in a new Shutterfly commercial. So, I mean, it's not like, um, you know, the entertainment industry went away. It's just like stand-up is being held hostage. Mm, that's true. I, I really like that comedy's in bumper-to-bumper traffic analogy. Because I feel it's kind of, it's late, it's pissed off. Everyone is pissed off waiting for it and they don't know what to do. So they're just kind of standing around like, should we do something here? And it's quite frustrating. So I kind of like exactly. That. You mm. get it. I I get it. I get it. Very articulate response. I I also uh, first off before we get into anything, I want to say how good your voice is. No, oh, thank you. I first heard it on the album as I was listening, Daddy Boy. It's a link is in the show notes, listeners, so you can click on that if you want to listen to it. You can listen to it right now and then come back to this. This is like a nice dessert for the album. But I wanted to say, first off, the voice is great. I feel like if you are not in the works already and doing like a, a John H. Benjamin piece, your voice is so much, it reminds me a little bit of his, not in, it has the same timber, but it's just, it's, it stands out so much and I can't help but be captivated by your steamy and delicious jokes as you're telling Thank them you. because of the voice. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I have been for the duration of the pandemic taking Zoom voiceover classes. Shout out to Malik Berger. Um, Ooh, Malik. And I, I have pivoted to focusing more on trying to sell my voice alone just because, you know, there's just a lot bigger of a market out there for that right now with more animated shows being produced and more voiceover commercials over stock footage of blue collar workers getting up at the crack of dawn to deliver people the, their precious Amazon packages during the pandemic with like very uh, sentimental, like we've isolated, we've waited. And now Amazon is here for you with your footstools and your emergency packets because Amazon definitely became trillionaires off the backs of millions of people dying from this virus. Amazon, we're going to charge you $200 a year to have better shipping. Like, I, oh, God. Just saying your name gave me the tinglys in the tummy, but then my whole body just got little goose pimples from that voice. It got, you know what? If that's where we're at five minutes in, I don't want to know what's going to get engorged by the end of this conversation. 
that that's why we do top only for the Zoom meeting. Okay, that's cool, cool. Do. But anyway, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to dive into the special Daddy Boy. I know you've been doing comedy for 14 years plus. This is the debut album. What came into the culmination of you saying, you know what, this is the right time? And then how many years did you go back to compile this? Or was this like fresh, off the top, creme de la creme jokes? Or or how, how did it all happen? How did this magic happen? <laughs> A magician never reveals its secrets. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. That's the end of the podcast. That's the podcast. Um, so um, about eight years ago, I wanted to record an album, but I'm not the most proactive when it comes to execution. I've recorded, I've always recorded myself, listened back to my sets. And I thought like eight years ago, I was ready to, and, and I was, then I was what, like six years in or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm ready. And I think I was. But I just dragged my feet on it, dragged my feet on it. And then about three years ago, this record label, 800 Pound Gorilla, um, approached me. Shout out to Neil Weisel and Anthony Leo, who are my points of contact there. Neil actually used to live in L.A. and hang out at the comedy store. He was roommates with a former roommate of mine and the former manager of the comedy store. And he Uh moved to Nashville and started working at this record label. And... Uh reached out to me about making an album. And it was another process of, even though they were pretty much doing all the work, mm-hmm. me dragging my feet and trying to figure out, you know, like, I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't think it's, it's not that I drag my feet because I'm lazy. It's that, you know, you want, you want to create a moment. You want it to be, I don't believe in perfection, but you want to create a moment that feels special. And I was like trying to find that and waiting and putting it off and uh, turning down certain opportunities because they didn't feel right. And then what had happened was the punchline in San Francisco had had me up to headline a few times. It's not the first time I had headlined, but it was the first time I'd headlined an A club and done over an hour and really felt like impactful in doing so. Um, I was like, this is the place. And what transpired in the ensuing months was Google bought the building they're in and they were at risk of being shut down and trying to find other locations. But, you know, it's a historic club. And I wanted it to be there. So I, that lit a fire under my ass to find the date to do it there before they closed. And they, Dave Chappelle went to City Hall and they got their lease extended for another however long it was. And Google, you know, like the the evil overlords at the corporate headquarters had to like, be like, fine, we'll let these artists have their, little uh, clubhouse for a little longer. And so last December, uh, well, for posterity purposes, December, 2019, I was set to record there, um, headline on a Wednesday night and then, and record that and then record my feature sets with Bobby Lee, 
the next night and they recorded wow. me when they recorded Adam Ray's album the previous year they rec- recorded my feature sets and some of the some like pieces of jokes are peppered in there to cover up you know like like blowing a line or whatever or or mm-hmm. just jokes that I get, that were out of rotation but to, but um on my drive up there my yeah. father-in-law called me from his deathbed to say goodbye so I'm glad I had those other recordings to to draw from for some of the source material because I definitely in the extensive process of listening back listening back listening back listening back I was just like oh I can definitely feel my sorrow and my pain and my distraction from being in the moment performing at the in in that particular show holy and um but but the second part of your question I definitely used more of my bits that maybe fell out of rotation or that I was still doing that I probably had been doing for too long or brought back some that I hadn't done in years because I still think they're funny, but they maybe didn't apply to my life anymore. You know, I'm a pretty autobiographical comedian. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I definitely drew, and I, in, in those shows, I did a wide range of material, old, new, but I, for the album, I just used stuff that was for the purposes of the arc of the album. So it's called Daddy Boy, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of just like the through line is like, I've come to LA to do comedy, and, and these are my... Uh, trials and tribulations and then this is my maturation process and all the story of like how I got through it all with some social commentary and and little one-liners all peppered in throughout but you know it's like basically how I'm a dad now but very much still a child myself I identify as a boy I might be a man biologically but I identify it as a child uh, that's fair. That's fair. So that's, I mean, that that's all really interesting. And I was going to say the first thing that you said, or one of the first things was, you know, I was waiting for the right opportunity. You have these expectations of in your head of what you want it to be. So you might drag your feet. I had just had that with my pops because he and I, I wanted to have a father son fishing trip with him. This is not nearly as huge an accomplishment as creating a debut album, but I wanted to do a fishing trip with him because he loves fishing. I didn't know how to fish. I wanted to be able to teach my son to do something because all I can mm-hmm. offer right now is, hey, son, let's do a father-son podcasting trip. So <laughs> it's like, let's let's try fishing. So I, I thought in my head, I was like, you know what? I'll save up enough money. We'll go to Alaska. We'll fish. The, I don't know what you do, like trident, those salmon or whatever, and we'll catch those, and it'll be awesome. We'll have some father-son moments where he'll say, I love you. We might have a hug. I might get little tummy grumbles, and it'll be great. But it just never happened. And then my wife finally in COVID, she was like, why don't you take your dad on a fishing trip right here in Arizona, go X place, and we ended up doing it, and it was wonderful. And so that, That's heartwarming. Th- Thank you. I, oh, I appreciate that. And, and it, you know what? What else is heartwarming is your comedy coming on to us. Ugh, that was a graphic dis- description. But <laughs> no, that's how it's been described. <laughs> but I was just thinking about 
Really quick before we you you talk about my comedy again, which I feel uncomfortable about, but I'm also totally into. Just like the idea of like you taking your kid on a podcasting trip and them being like, Dad, I thought you were going on a fishing trip. We were going on a fishing trip. No, son, I said um podcasting. He's like, I thought you said casting, like <laughs> I thought we were gonna be casting and catching fish and you know. Being out on the open water. Oh, son, I'm going to teach you tons of things. We're going to teach you how to do a plug. So I've got Squarespace here. I'm going to teach you how to plug in a mic. Uh, Teach you how to equalize. I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe all the fish are going to die out in 20 years by the time I have a kid anyway. So podcasting might be more ubiquitous. According to the doomsday environmentalists, they will be dead very soon. Fuck, so I wasted a trip with my dad. I should have just gone podcasting with him because what's the point now? I mean, <sighs> gone casting, gone casting. Oh, that a bumper sticker with a little mic with the, the cord as if it was cast like a fishing rod. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a podcasting trip is just a road trip where you and somebody else listen to podcasts the entire time. Oh, God, a big old true crime binge. <laughs> fun <laughs> but a- anyway your your comedy coming on to all of us i feel like it, i'm glad that you did it it was an awesome album i listened to a lot because i i have Thank a lot you. of comedians on here and i thought one the first thing that stood out to me was the voice obviously two i i thought that it was like you had said there was a little bit or there was quite a bit about your life autobiographical how you grew up, you wanted to be a gynecologist. Maybe I don't know if that part was true. <laughs> um, it is true, and my uncle is super flattered that I put that joke in there. <laughs> that was a, an amazing joke. And then, and then going in and going to LA, the side jobs that you ended up doing. Were you really a director of gay porn? Oh yeah. Oh my you know, god. I, I believe, you know, every comic has a certain level of embellishment, but mine is, right. my margin is pretty little. I would say it's like 10 to 25%, but I absolutely, right. I only really directed one scene, but I shadowed a bunch and I was in that world and I was fully ready to like make that my part-time job. And wow. what it really came down to was my friend who owned the company Mm -hmm. was like, look, you're either going to give up comedy and do this, or I'm not going to feel responsible when you're up for a big job and they find out that you direct gay porn and you lose it. Mm. I have yet to be up for that big of a job where it would affect that. But, you know, he was looking out for my best interests and I appreciate that. That's, that's really sweet. Really sweet. Well, it made for a good bit, and Ooh, the, I, I will not spoil the line, the condition in which a, a straight man does gay porn directing. But that that had me cracking up. I I also wanted to laud you on how, and I felt like I didn't, I I haven't felt this from comedians a lot in the way that you were doing it, but I felt like you had such a good control of the crowd, where. You did some crowd work throughout the sets, but I feel like you also were so engaging with them where instead of pointing a single person out like a lot of comics do and you did a little bit, you were also just straight up 
asking them questions, um, making angry proclamations at them for laughing <laughs> at jokes for people that you looked like or that you said you looked like. And I, I feel like it seems like you really made it into like a big conversation between you and them. And that way you even said, don't heckle me unless you have good timing and you're waiting for, but, but don't do it in the punchline and don't do it, but you can, but don't. So it really, it kind of kept them on their toes. I felt like I would have been on my toes. Um, and, and I wanted to ask how, how did you grow into that type of person? That's just really in it with the crowd. Um, I like to try to cultivate the atmosphere, whether I'm headlining or featuring or opening or just doing a slot mm -hmm. on a showcase show mm -hmm. where I'm hanging out with the audience. Like we're in my basement of my parents' house because that's the genesis of, of my comedy is like at the Thanksgiving dinner table or in the, in my basement, underage drinking, you know, like that's how I'm most comfortable and the most myself. Mm -hmm. And I also find that that allows for the best feeling and response from the audience. And it sets a good tone if I'm the opener or the feature for the rest of the show. And that's just kind of who I am. Like, I have enough awareness of myself that I know when people look at me, I remind them of someone from their past, someone from their dorm or someone they were, that was like in their class that cracked jokes or, you know, a buddy that died from an OD or drunk driving, you know, like, um, I just, uh, I have, a, I, I was doing a show once a month in LA called watch me chill. And basically I just like having the atmosphere where it's like, where it feels collaborative, even though it's very much not, but where right. people, it, it, it's like empowering the audience, I guess, to like have as much fun as they possibly can. I do think that, you know, I don't believe people should heckle. I don't believe people should like feel free reign, like when they are in the audience at a comedy show to, to feel entitled to do and say whatever they want. That's just not how it works. But I right. think that there's a certain feeling when you get into a comedy show for a lot of people in the audience, when they hear those announcements, like, turn your phones on silent, no heckling, no table talk, where it <clears throat> creates a tightness. Yeah. On top of the already, the already existent social situation of like, is this joke okay to laugh at? So I try to do my best to not only bring a certain kind of energy to empower them, but to like break down that tightness. That's amazing. And I will say the masterpiece of that in work was at the improv in Ontario when I, <laughs> holy shit, that, that I was floored and I didn't even see it from the other angle until today where I saw Bobby Lee had posted the other angle. But to sum it up, you were joking around with some people. You told a guy, I'd fuck you. Which is a complete joke, first off, like you would say, it's a comedy club. Yeah. And then also, it's kind of a compliment. I mean, 
It's right. I, I would be I would gush if somebody said they would fuck me. So, uh, but the gentleman was not pleased, and it looked like he took off his shirt and was ready to fight you, literally fight you. And he did, and it took a lot for me to not say if you don't want to fuck why are you taking your clothes off because it's like a very delicate dance of like being funny but not escalating a hostile situation right oh god that's amazing i you handled it so nicely that when i saw i obviously knew that something was going on and that security you could kind of see from the corner that they were taking care of it and I think you could hear some of the yelling from the gentleman. I don't know why I'm calling him a gentleman. He's definitely not a gentleman. But you were just and and he got thrown on the table. But the crowd, for the most part, some of them were still looking at you, and you were still providing commentary and making people laugh. And they were totally on your side. And you you totally nailed that one. That was God amazing. Thank I'd you. Never That's another it. show where I was featuring for Bobby Lee. And the last thing you want to do as, I mean, as a feature, but in general is like derail a show. Right. Things will come up and I, and I have to like say from the previous question about like the atmosphere I like to create with the audience Mm -hmm. and also dealing with any kind of curveball or variable from the audience. I've, I learned everything I know from, from working out at the comedy store because when I first got there, the audiences were sparse and hostile and you never knew what you were getting yourself into. Yeah. And you would get heckled from the comics in the back of the room. Audience members would rush the stage on you. Um, There would just be all kinds of crazy shit going down there. So I learned my metal and how to keep calm by, by like, really going through the ringer at the comedy store in those dark years but holy shit um yeah man it's 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 a tough balance because there were things i wanted to say that i knew were funny but in the moment things kind of slowed down for me and i was just like okay that's funny but don't say that it'll make it more antagonistic and so i just had to like pick and choose what to say that would be funny but not escalate the tension. So it's like, cause if I'm too mean to, to people that do that, you're, you're going to lose most of the audience, even though those guys were clearly the aggressors and right. did not take a joke, but they were heckling all throughout the previous two comic sets and oh. someone needed to put an end to it. And I didn't go up there. I mean, that was like 30 seconds into my set and they, they went in with me. And I, you know, that's just what I do. It's fun. But you hope that that's not how most shows go. Um, My mom and my brother happened to be in the audience sitting right behind those guys. Oh, my God. And my mom, this is this is um, pretty explanatory, if that's even a word, but this just kind of sets up who I am to my mom at the end of the show my mom came up to me she's like that was great how you had your friends pretend like they wanted to fight you and I was like (laughs) mom those were real gang members those were not my friends and they want to kill me 
And she's that's just like what I've put her, her through throughout the years. It's like, oh, she thinks that that is the those are like the kind of antics that I would. I mean, it would be a brilliant bit if I had that set up to look like that and do that. But it was all just organic. Damn. Damn. No, it was it was crazy. My heart was pounding and I was just watching on a screen a year in the future so that was really incredible. it was on my daughter's first birthday so there was a chance that that would be all that she got to experience of her daddy one year oh man i did i was gonna ask did they try to come after you at the end of the show or i'm sure there was security i was something. afraid of that and i stayed i stayed in the club for like an hour and a half after the show ended but they from what i was told from the uh, security footage, they got pulled over and arrested on their way out. Damn. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's just something to think about for the rest of my life if they're going to track me down and find me. Oh, God. It's like Sideshow Bob going after Bart Simpson all the exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. I'll always have it hanging over my head. Man. Oh, well. I wish I had advice to give you for that one. This is an advice podcast, but um... <laughs> uh, anyway, well, your special, amazing. I, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. People can listen to it on Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much everywhere. Everywhere. Everyone. Even apps I've never even heard of. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well. That's awesome. Is there, I was going to ask before we get into the advice, it's been a pleasure speaking with you so far, Sandy, but I was going to ask what else have you got going on? What would you like to plug? Where can people find you? I managed to conveniently mention all the things uh, at the beginning. Um, Movie called tar. You can find it on demand through Apple, um, Apple movies or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days or Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a horror comedy, right? It's a horror comedy, yeah. I'm the comic relief in it. I'm very funny in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, Jewish Life TV, a show called The Word, which, you know, I'm not particularly religious, but it is just fun to discuss and make fun of um passages from the bible and that's kind of what we do and i think they're they're looking they're looking that channel is looking to like expand into a younger hipper audience and so this is their um attempt at doing so and it's actually like a really fun show to do and i think that the um product is is good it's something that that um i think if you happen to come upon i don't know who on earth gets Jewish life TV at their homes. But if you happen to come upon it, it's, it's something that you like, whether you're religious or not, you could find enjoyable just because like, who doesn't have like a rudimentary knowledge of the Bible. And that's all I really have. And um, that's what we're talking about and making fun of. So, and it devolves into other funny riffs. And then um, my album, Daddy Boy, find it anywhere. My podcast, MFers, a parenting podcast. And um, my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter are all the same, at Sandy Danto. 
and I'm in a new Shutterfly commercial, you'll probably come across because I get like five texts a day from people I haven't talked to in years that say they <laughs> saw me on it. And um, I'm in the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. Nice. You know, I do things. I'm in stuff. I, you, I make the rounds. Yeah, yeah, you spread more easy than Corona because you're in <laughs> a lot. Maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I, 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 I've seen you in a bunch of stuff. My favorite is you being the uh, Microsoft Start Bar. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty obscure one. Yeah, <laughs> that was a fun commercial to do from the producers of Tar, actually. Really? Oh, yep, cronyism at its best. It's all, <laughs> it's all connected. That's amazing, Sandy. So excited to get into some advice with you. So we're going to answer a couple questions. Before we do, um, I've got an inspirational quote that'll help get us all inspired so that we can uh, answer these questions. Before we get into that, I'd like to ask my guests if they have any inspirational quotes that can help get them through their dark days. Do you have any in your back pocket? The only one that comes to mind off the top of my head is from my album, The Best Time to Stab Someone Is at a Halloween Party. (laughs) That is inspirational for murderers. I like that. You want to know what? I I Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of inspirational quotes just because I think they are bastardized by social media, but... My favorite inspirational quotes are the ones that are basically telling you, like, don't try so hard. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. Don't worry. Hmm. Like, people, this is a list of people who didn't become successful till they were 40. You know, the kind of things that, that give you a sense of relief instead of, like, work hard every day and you'll sow the fruits of your labor, you know, like... Yeah. yeah. I think inspirational quotes get the same ones get so overused that they're meaningless, but I really love the ones that are like, you know, go easy on yourself and you'll find that if you don't work so hard, things will just happen naturally. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but stuff the, like that. The gentle ones, the ones yes. that are Yes, I love it. By the way, ever since you talked about the um what was it? The word and saying you weren't that religious of a person, you're not mm-hmm. the you're. I'm not seeing the top of your head, and I just see the curls right here, and <laughs> <laughs> and so that's I, I keep seeing it, and it gives me inspiration. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you for that inspirational quote, Sandy. I've got one. It's actually not by a person at all. It's by a robot, and it's called Inspirobot. And what it does is it uses AI to take some of the wisest words known to man and then just mush them together for a really juicy inspirational quote. We'll try and see if it means anything to us, but I'll read it. It says, Inspirobot says, Failing at remembering is probably a result of having a bad brain. Inspiring. Hmm. All right. Don't have such a bad brain. (laughs) I thought thought it was just like, you know what? Don't worry about it. You just got a bad brain. You're not going to remember things. Nothing you can do about that. Yeah. 
right. Well, thank you, Inspirebot. That was inspiring. We'll move on to the questions. We've got this first one. It's found by our fan Heather. It says, my boyfriend hates his birthday. So today is my boyfriend's birthday. He really hates it. I need some help deciding on what to do, what to say, what not to say, etc. Obviously, I know not to throw a surprise party or anything else extravagant, but I'm even wondering if I should say happy birthday. Can anyone relate to him? If so, any advice? All right. Um, yes, a piece of advice. People who hate their birthday are lying. <laughs> we all hate our birthday. Who wants to get a fucking year older, but who at the same time hates cake, a nice dinner, gifts, attention. Like we all like that. We don't like adding numbers to our age, but the the, the moral of the story is don't make a big deal about it. Just good food and a thoughtful gift. And then it, it look, my birthday is the day after Christmas. So I get the notion of not liking your birthday. Mm. It's it's come around for me where it's like the best birthday because I don't have to deal with all the like pressure of like, am I going to have a party? Mm. And, uh, but you know, for a long time I was like, Oh, no one has ever acknowledged my birthday for most of my life. And now I love that. But like people that say, I hate my birthday. It's like somebody hurt you. That's why. And you just have to be, cognizant of of the sensitivity that somebody has of of like having had maybe a few birth i mean if today is the birthday it's on veterans day so maybe that has something to do with it i don't know but it's just about like making that person as comfortable as they can without making a, a big a lot of fanfare over it that's right i totally agree with that I think Sandy, you you hit it on the head. If they don't, if they say they don't like their birthday, they were hurt at some point, and maybe they were hurt because somebody forgot it was their birthday, didn't give them the love that they deserve, they didn't give them that tummy grumble feeling. So mm-hmm. I, I think what you should do, like you said, give them those little treats, give them that love and attention, maybe some cake, maybe some present, something that's just it's not in your face. Happy birthday! Like I'm gonna make you like it. But more of like uh, just the tip of the birthday hey, experience. Here's your favorite meal and your favorite dessert. You want a candle? I got that. You don't? We don't need to use it. <laughs> we don't need to light it. Yeah, that's fine. We don't need just... to light it, but you can put it inside of me if you want. Or IU, whatever you're into. It's your birthday. But we don't have How... to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. One candle for each year in each hole. That's, that's how we... <laughs> oh god oh man it'd, it. be, it'd be like birthday voodoo almost okay so you could do that i was thinking too you could maybe if they don't like their birthday you could do a little nice thing and then you could you could give them all the treats you could really spoil them the day after their birthday and be like it's not your birthday and then you make them feel really yeah. special and be like i really like you and i know you hate your birthday but this is not your birthday and i'm gonna treat you i'm gonna treat you self you you surprise so- them on a, di- a random day of the year and you're like surprise it's not your birthday but i'm gonna do all the things that People do four birthdays. 
because you don't hate this day. You just hate the day that your mom, who was too rough on you as a kid and you have issues about it, gave birth to you. And that's why you hate your birthday. (laughs) That's really I think we came up with something really cute because then I do, too. You're going to be very rom com Oh, my God. Should we pitch this somewhere? Is this? I think so. I think so. Birthday. Birth date. Birth date because they're boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> All right. Well, mo- moving on. We've got one more question. This is from our fan, Courtney. Thank you, Courtney. It says, is this horror movie creepy or a nice gesture? So I have a very small home business where I make soap and other bath products. So I've always got a good hundred or so bars of soap in various styles and scents. While doing some jogging around my apartment complex, I've seen some signs on lawns with class photos and like, a proud graduate of X lives here. I feel bad for graduates since they didn't get an actual senior year. I thought it might be a nice gesture to wrap up some soap and either leave it at the door with a note or just set it down, knock, walk back, and explain what it's for. But as I thought about it, I realized that I'm a random 30-year-old dude, and this could be considered very creepy, considering our only connection is we're neighbors in the same general complex. I still want to do something nice. What do I do? Hmm. I think there's this weird part of the human condition where we all love free stuff and we all love to get stuff. But in actuality... Gifts can be a burden. Mm. We've all gotten the gift that is simply an errand. And then it becomes burdensome because then, depending on how close you are with the person or what that gift builds your relationship to, or, you know, you don't want to be found out as having returned a gift. You don't know if the person giving it is going to feel slighted by that. Also, one time a couple of friends came uh-huh. over for dinner and they got us a housewarming gift of a French press. And my mom always taught me to just uh-huh. say thank you. But we already had a French press. But she said, because at a birthday party when I was little, somebody got me something that I already had. And I said, I already have that. And my mom said, somebody gets you a gift. Just say thank you. So I, just I wish I wish you would have said, then, I already have that, just like that. And <laughs> Well, then we had dinner and my friends were like, hey, do you already have a French press? And I was like, yeah, but like, I, I'm still grateful that you guys got us one. <laughs> like, it was very awkward. So gifts can be awkward and burdensome and i think that um Mm -hmm. you know you really gotta know it's either gotta be something baseline that anyone can use like a gift card or a candle or like a nice like a really nice enjoyable hand soap or like a mint plant yeah i i agree sorry or like um you know, just refrain and um, smile and um, strike up a conversation. Unless you, you know, you go the creepy route and find out about them and find out what they need and what they love. And 
that's also a slippery slope because getting found out doing that is potentially very yes but, um, for like high schools you know, looking up high school students interests and hobbies for if you're a 30 year old man and then yeah. i think you're absolutely right. right you don't want to burden them you don't want to french presser anybody and give them the burden of accepting the gift so i would say also you have hundreds of these soaps and bath products are is it because you're not selling them is it because your baths uh, your bath products and soaps suck and do like weird odors do you do you have these strange concoctions and you name them odors after occasions like i hate my birthday or uh, mama didn't love me and then you're going to try to pawn those off on other people this sounds a little like you're trying to give free samples and you want right you're trying to yeah. market yourself or you know it could be taken as like so what are you saying that i smell bad that i don't right. have good hygiene right oh stinky seniors congrats you graduated now wash off that senior stank and get out of our neighborhood that's the message that i would get Yeah, but at the same time, you know, so, you know, if it's, if it's like, all right, I'll say this, the best, the best bar none housewarming gift you can get a person. And I'm not being paid by them to say this is Aesop Hansen. By the way, while we're coming up with ideas, Sandy, if we ever create a soap, we should call it bar none. Just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But anyway, it it was called what? I t I was so concentrated on getting that out that Aesop hand soap. It's okay. it's expensive, but it's delightful. It makes you want to wash your hands even though you okay. don't need to. Oh. And I'm saying no one no one wants bars of soap anyway. Like who who uses like it, that's a very personal thing. You can't like share bars of soap with other You're people. You're not supposed to. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you shouldn't. So, I mean, I don't know if it's like somebody going off to college, but who the fuck is going off to college during a pandemic? Right, right. You know? And then who's going to pack a bar of soap? I don't know. That's just. I think you just got to ask yourself, am I doing this for me or am I doing it for the good of somebody else? Right. And whatever answer you come to with that, just know that that's why you're doing it. And, um, be cool with that and, and yeah. Own it. Take one of your bars of soap and know that it's not necessarily a gift for them. It's a gift for both. There you go. Take one of your bars of soap and come clean about <laughs> your intentions. Oh, oh no, God. Nope. <laughs> ne never mind. Let me take that one back. Well, ah, uh, I feel like we have blown our advice loads and we're all empty and we're ready to top off this podcast. So Sandy, first off, thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to talk with you about your special. And Likewise, um, man. if you are ever in Phoenix, I would love to see you perform. I, you know, before all this, would go to Phoenix like three, four times a year, Tempe Improv, Stand Up Live, oh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'm looking forward to getting back there. I actually love it there. It's uh, The crowds are always great. And um, Phoenix is a cool town, it, man. 
Phoenix is cool. I like the desert. Oh, desert samesies. Cool. I, I love it here. I was on the East Coast for about eight years in New Jersey, New York, and coming back here, God, the weather, ah, and then the beautiful cacti, just the wonderful aesthetic. Lovely. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. anyway, it was a pleasure to have you one more time for the audience, just in case they didn't catch it the first time. What have you got to plug? Where can people find you? Most importantly, just check out Daddy Boy. Yes. Google Daddy Boy Sandy Danto. You'll find how to listen to my album and check out my social media at Sandy Danto. And my podcast, MFers, a parenting podcast. And that's, that's pretty much, you know, all the rest will fall into place. That's right. And we'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. MFers, great podcast. I was listening to it a little bit today. And Thank you, man. Stefan, thank you for thank you for taking an interest in me. This was really lovely. I enjoyed talking to you, and I would love to come back and do this again. You're welcome anytime. I'd love to have you back on. If you reach under your seat, you'll find a bar of soap specifically. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> you got soaped. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, well, thank you, Dan. Uh, I'm bar done. <laughs> Little dad joke for for the people out there listening. And who says we don't do clean comedy over here? (laughs) (laughs) That was a double pun. (laughs) 